Hello, this is the Surviving Healthcare Podcast, and I have a tremendous guest here that I'm excited to interview named Robert Gamble. We're both doctors, of course. He's a doctor of dentistry, and I'm a doctor of medicine. And so we're on first name basis. We're age contemporaries. And th this guy, this guy woke up a lot sooner than I did, and he has been fighting organized dentistry uh, for nine-tenths of his career, you know, well over half his career, three-quarters of his career. And of course, I didn't start understanding what was going on until I retired. So I've had four or five-year runway, and uh, Dr. Gamble has uh, larger huevos than me because he he fought this bunch that could have taken his license away or taken away his living or, and they're, they're just absolutely crazy. So without further ado, um, Dr. Gamble, give us your hero's journey, <laughs> your hero's journey, <laughs> your story of how you got to where you are. It's not a hero's journey. Um, it's a very fortunate journey. Um, for 13 years, I did everything I was taught. I poisoned my patients, I poisoned my family, my children, my wife, everyone. I put amalgam in, I did root canals. I've done thousands of root canals and I thought I did them well. And I used to tell uh, pregnant women they had to buy fluoride tablets. I was a type A dentist. And as my health changed a little bit, I decided to drop out of dentistry. Um, because by that stage, I had been studying a whole lot of natural therapies, including massage and all sorts of different fields. And I dropped out and uh, worked as a masseur for three and a half years, which was wonderful. I think that probably saved my life. Because up until then, I had been pumping amalgam, being exposed to unbelievably mega quantities of mercury without knowing that that's what was happening. My ex-dental partner at the time, um, he also dropped out and became an acupuncturist. And when we got back into dentistry a few years later, um, we brought acupuncture and all the natural therapy consciousness into what we were doing decided we will never use amalgam again because we both learned that the stuff's not too good, but that's about all I knew. 54% mercury. Is, sorry? 54% mercury. About that. Yeah. Um, but this is back in 1991, 1990-91, and there was very little information in Australia about that. Um, I contacted a couple of people who said, well, you know, we've got a little bit of info and sent it to me. And then uh, by chance, I met amazing people who started pointing me in different directions. And one chap who was a uh, pilot, he dropped a little book into me called It's All in Your Head, written by Hal Huggins. And I read that book. And he described all of my health problems in one hit. And I thought I'd got to go and meet this man. So I booked myself in and I did a course with Hal. We became quite friendly after that. Um, and through Hal, he took me down into his basement 
under his surgery, which was lined with bookshelves, concrete bunker, air-conditioned computers, and he pulled a book off the shelf and he said, here, have a look at this. And it was Western Price's original handwritten documents. And I just, I shook. I couldn't believe it. Um, so really, thanks to Hal Huggins, I woke up. And that included not just amalgam, but root canals and cavitations and all the other concepts that we are denied knowledge of. Dentistry still denies knowledge of these areas. Um, when I came back, I was very green. I thought I could change the world. Uh, we formed a, there was a group of doctors and dentists in Australia by that stage, now 94, who were prepared to come together. And we formed the Australian Society of Oral Medicine and Toxicology. And that was the first time that the Australian Dental Association had any opposition to its monopoly of what was being told. And they certainly didn't like that in various ways um, and demonstrated that. But uh, we put together conferences and the first conference we put together, we had uh, Professor Murray Vimy, who was the professor who did the sheep studies on mercury. We had Professor Vera Stasko, um from Sweden. Uh, Jerry Bucot was there talking about Nikos. We had a we had a very you know up there speaker list. And uh, we had 500 people come to that conference, which I think probably beat most of the ADA conferences. And they were terrified. But that gave us the leverage to keep going. Um, and then I spent the next, I don't know, 25 years or so doing the opposite to what dentistry teaches and watching my patients most of the time improve, not always. You know, I'm not a god. I always said to my patients, that's why the book's called The Garbage Collector. I always said to my patients, I'll take the rubbish out if you're the one doing the healing. I can't do that. Um, and I really do mean that. It's not It's not my job to heal anybody. But, yeah, I was get, getting pretty good at taking the rubbish out. And uh, as you said in your podcast, um it was horrifying to see how quickly people's health improved after the removal of dead root canal teeth. It was incredible. And the, the list of patients and the diseases, um, all untreatable. All untreatable by the medical profession because there's no known cause. If there's no known cause, you don't have a treatment. But the cause is known. It's just not admitted to. And that's sort of um, a brief summary <laughs> of how I've gotten here. Well, uh, Dr. Gamble um, summarizes the uh, all the different dental problems with their standard of practice, including, well, he mentioned the mercury. He mentioned 
root canals and actually um, dental implants, which he feels more or less are always infected and should never be done. And if found, should be removed immediately or, or you, you know, you're, you may have some sort of health problem or compromise because the bacteria go to other places in your body so readily. I mean, these, the dental tissue, the tooth is not like a piece of stone or a piece of steel, which have their own problems if implanted in a person's body, but it is biologically active. And it's, it's what a surgeon would call a foreign body and foreign bodies have got to be removed because they pus out that's what our slang is. The surgeons would, you know, they get infected and then they infect everything else. So, um, you know, and then together with the uh, ratification of the uh, fluoride and I mean, dentistry is just a mess from top to top to bottom. I mean, it makes medicine. I would have said it makes medicine look good until the last three years when I, when I found out more about medicine. Mm. The implant uh, story is partly one of infection, especially with the metal implants that are supposedly titanium, but they're actually an alloy of a whole lot of metals with titanium. The metal sensitivity on all implants, whether in a thoracic or dental or ankles, is a problem. And the medical profession refuse, as dentistry does, refuse to do any testing to see if there is a metal sensitivity. Now, once you've got these things stuck in your head for $60,000, $100,000, you're not going to want to just pull them out again. And they're not so easy to pull out. And by that stage, the metal lines have already traveled through your body. So the infection's part of the problem there. The sensitivity to the metals um, is totally underestimated by both medicine and industry, but produces such a, an array of autoimmune diseases, it's, it's horrifying. And the other thing with metal implants compared to uh, ceramic for dental is that they act as antennae for... EMFs, and they increase the radiation exposure and the depth of that exposure into your body many times. So, you know, you put your implants in here, you've got a brain here, it's being fried. Wow. So, so yeah, that's not, that's not yeah. acceptable. It's more than just the battery effects because I've read about the currents mm. and I actually interviewed Scott Schroeder, who you probably know. Okay. Yeah. Who's uh, and he was, he, he actually measured the, um, the, you know, the electrical potential across the, uh, you know, between the mouth, if the person had metal amalgams and the orthopedic implants that he was putting in people's feet, he's a podiatrist. And I mean, I got to tell you, these podiatrists are just indiscriminate about what they screw into a foot. They'll, they'll use dozens. They're like, they feel like they're woodworking. They've used dozens of little screws. They, they don't, they don't seem to have any independent uh, worry about it either. And like you say, I don't even think most of these implant surgeons ask whether you're nickel sensitive and nickel is probably yeah. 20% of the population. So, you yeah. know, I, I've got, I, I didn't understand any of this last year when I got both my shoulders replaced. <laughs> and, uh, you know, what I learned, <laughs> what, I learned <laughs> what I learned was, you know, they say it's titanium, but like you say, 
it's not just an amalgam of titanium. It's a proprietary amalgam, and they won't even tell you what the hell's in your shoulder because it's a trade secret. You know, so yeah. so I'm I'm getting Melisa testing uh, with our friend uh, Becky Dutton. You know, right. who's who's the uh, the impresario of Melisa. And uh, so I'm getting tested for all these uh, metals and my wife is too. And we'll, we'll see, I've already gotten a dental test that says that I'm, uh, I'm sensitive or I shouldn't get or something. I, I don't quite understand how the reporting of it, but I, I have aluminum and mercury problems, you know, and so I don't, you know, they're, they're using a, a, a ceramic uh, implant that supposedly has no metal. Good. Good. Yeah. So, well, so, <laughs> so anyway, I've got us. The, what? These are the stories that actually make us, people like you and myself, change because our health is affected. And when you start working that out, you go, hang on, what's the rest of the story? When, when you um, have a horse in the race, it's a lot, you get a lot more interested in how hard you study about <laughs> things. So I, I had a tremor uh for eight years according to my wife i mean who knows uh and uh, five weeks ago i was diagnosed with parkinson's disease so i'm i'm hoping that either mitigating the the uh, uh mercury uh, by removing my amalgams or uh, possibly um you know getting rid of the aluminum by drinking silica water chronically for a, a year or something it will uh will remediate my uh Parkinson's mm. syndrome, which is as yet just cosmetic, but these things progress. I mean, you know, they talk about Parkinson's patients being freaking dead in five years. <laughs> it doesn't sound good, but you've seen, <laughs> you've seen Parkinson's in many, tell some of your anecdotes about your, uh, what happened when you took out the trash. <laughs> oh, okay. But I want to make it really clear Look, what I told every patient, I can take out the rubbish, you do the healing. I cannot give you any promises for health improvement for a whole range of reasons. One, dentistry may not be the cause. You might have a different cause. Two, the progression of the disease may or may not respond to just taking out the cause, as you know. So the, there's a few um, concepts like that which I think everybody needs to understand before they just go and jump on the dental bandwagon. Without taking out the dead teeth or the amalgam, yeah, I don't think you're going to have a lot of health because the medical profession can't treat mercury poisoning when you're being poisoned by mercury all the time going in. You're not going to treat or be able to, to minimise the mecaptans and thioethers that are coming out of a dead tooth. So with those provisos, um, not everybody gets better. It's very dependent on so many factors and very few of my patients only did the dental treatment. I could probably name them on my 
you know, one hand. <coughs> the majority were doing lots of other modalities as well, from acupuncture to naturopathic to diet to drinking silica to having chelation treatments to seeing specialist medical who were a bit more tuned into the work we're doing. Um, so it's not it's not a standalone procedure. You have to understand that there are so many factors involved that it became clear that literally all I was doing was taking out the garbage. I thought I did it pretty well. But really, that's what it's about. How you then take a person's health and turn it around comes into people like yourself working with us um, and being completely up the river if you're not having a dentist who's on board because you can't do the dental. So, yes, I've seen most remarkable things. Um, one of my earlier patients uh, was a lady who had psoriasis all over her body. She was itching every night to the point that she would scratch herself raw. She had a medical history that thick. She'd worked in the petroleum industry. She'd had all of her amalgams removed by the time I saw her. This had been going for 10, 15 years. And I'd just come back from seeing Hal Huggins in Colorado, and I gave her the book that he wrote um, the price of root canals because it was very verboten in Australia. You do not, because the Dental Association say you do not take out good, healthy root canal teeth. <laughs> and I said, well, one, I want you to sign a disclosure that says you want me to do it. And secondly, I want you to read this book from cover to cover before we take out your root canals. She had four root canals, one down here and a few up the top. And uh, she came back in the week later. She said, get rid of them. <laughs> okay. We took out the three at the top. And she came in a week later to have the stitches removed and the fourth one removed. And she hugged me and thanked me. And I'm going, whoa, 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 whoa. This is only a week. What's going on? She said, look, every procedure I've ever had, whatever they've done, I've gotten worse the next day. When you took those three teeth out, I didn't get worse. I haven't gotten better, but I haven't gotten worse. And she's really happy. So we took the last tooth out. It was very straightforward. When she came back a week later to have the stitches out, she was a different woman. I saw her three months later and didn't recognize her. And she said, look, all those scars are healing. I haven't been itching. I sleep through the night. I'm dreaming again. I've got my spiritual center back again. Wow. That was my first patient that I took root canals out of. Um, that really impressed me. And it happened very quickly. And then... I don't know, I can't remember. I can't I can't count the number of women that told me. Because I used to take out the tooth surgically, 
bring them back a week later to take the stitches out. And I couldn't do that when I was living in the country because people were travelling far too long distances. But in Sydney, it was easy. And they were happy to come back to have the stitches removed. And then I got to hear the stories and see what the healing was. And the number of women that told me that their breast lumps had disappeared within that week after having been there for years, I lost count of and I've come to expect that that's the norm now. So I've had other friends dying from breast cancer that didn't have anything wrong with their teeth. It's not the only cause. In fact, I'd say that dentistry is by no means the only cause of disease. It's one of the most overlooked causes. And from the dental profession itself, the most denied cause of disease. So from that, from watching patients with brain tumours and the tumour disappears in a few months after extracting one dead tooth, root canal, I've watched MS patients return with no MS. That's the big and one. And not just symptomatically, but also from their MRIs. And I've got these up on my website. You can read those in my book. Obviously, there are many, many, many case studies. And, of course, they're anecdotal because, you know, I'm reporting them. They're not published peer-reviewed, but they're real and they're true. Well, anecdote is the... um it's one of the strongest kind of evidentiary proof we have in medicine. And now that the, the randomized controlled studies are all adulterated by uh, frauds and statistical lies and all kinds of stuff. And that the medical journals are purchased from uh, start to finish uh, economically. So, and, and the studies are all done by drug companies who have a, a economic horse in the race, but you would come down flat footedly and say that you would remove anyone that came to see you with any kind of medical problem, you would remove every single implanted tooth and every root canal in their mouth and the amalgams, because that's the conclusion I came to after after looking at your work and seeing the many hundreds of anecdotes about people, you know, improving various medical conditions. I mean, you look in a horse's mouth, to examine his health why not look in it you know and the medicine medical people have no clue we don't look in the mouth at all never been trained to do any of it and the yeah. dentists are you worse than know what to look for they're worse than useless mm. because they're actually operating against us they're implanting things that are chronically infected uh are uh, are uh, you know shed metal and uh are you know this incredibly toxic material mercury i mean you know the more i you know, when I found out about that the first time I made my appointment, but my dentist that I made an appointment with, he's so busy, he couldn't get me in for three months. So I'm coming, I'm, I'm going to have it all out in two weeks. Good. I have 17 Good. amalgams. You need somebody who does it carefully, properly. Yeah. With following all the protocols that, you know, there, there are now, and that's sort of taking me off on a different tangent. I'm sorry. No, um, go ahead. If I may. Anything's fine. Um, everyone's calling themselves holistic. When we started doing this work back in the early 90s, um, I've never called myself holistic. I used to call my dental surgery the biocompatible dentistry. And everyone became holistic. And 
All that meant was that they stopped using amalgam. And I'm going to be really critical here of my colleagues because there's a little bit more involved than just not using amalgam. And if you're not going to take seriously the issues of fluoride and promote getting a reverse osmosis filter to get it out of the water, because I think that's about the only way you're going to get the drinking water clean. If you're not going to be serious about implants and root canals and following protocols of taking amalgam out safely, or as safely as we can, this term holistic becomes really scary. And a lot of people that I speak to believe in it and they go, oh, so-and-so is a holistic dentist and they're going to put an implant in here. And another holistic dentist has told me he's going to use a biocompatible material to do my root canal. <laughs> it's like, no, no, I'm dead serious. And this is the, the con that's continuing. It's a con. It's not looking at all of the issues and going, hell, that means I can't do root canals anymore. That means I've got to learn how to take them out surgically and clean the bone and clean the cavitations properly. In fact, I've got to think about cavitations and wonder how they got there in the first place. Just for the listeners, a cavitation is a soft area in the bone that shows up on the x-ray typically and needs to be cleaned out completely with the by the dentist uh, in order to have any hope of healing. If if they don't clean them out, they leave infected uh, focuses that can still seed the rest of the body and cause problems. So the key to dentistry is yeah. debris, debridement, a French word that the surgeons use that means cleaning out, taking out the garbage, taking out everything until it bleeds. Yeah. And if you don't take it, if you don't, and if you do that, stuff stops bleeding rapidly and it heals it heals very well as dr gamel yes. goes over in his book describe what what is going on with these guys doing uh, root canals and the materials used and 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 the process and the and the misconceptions that they've voiced on us <coughs> um on my website and i think i sent you the link to that i've linked everything um there's a page about the root filling cements, including gutter perk points. And all of these are approved by the TGA, Therapeutic Goods Administration in Australia, the FDA in America. They are considered biocompatible by dentistry. For some reason, implanting formaldehyde into someone's brain is considered biocompatible. Two inches from the brain. And well, it's going to get through the whole body yeah. within, it goes, you know. Instantly. It goes out through the little tubules on the inside of each tooth and into the mouth and through the rest of the body. That's what Dr. Gamble yes. is referring to. So yes. go ahead. Sorry. So anything that we put in the tooth is going to spread to the rest of the body constantly and beginning as soon as you put it into the tooth, especially if that root canal is overfilled and you've got some of that gunk sitting in the bone. Um, so that whole concept of using biocompatible materials um, is a complete nonsense. So besides formaldehyde, which we know is a carcinogen, among other nasty characteristics, mm. what other carcinogens are the 
is the typical root canal uh, uh, subjected to or used in con you know conjunction with or whatever that the FDA claims is biocompatible? I mean, every I, root filling cement. Yeah, every root filling cement is not biocompatible. It's not necessarily carcinogenic, but it will cause health problems. It's, yeah. it's not biocompatible. Um, in fact, some of the holistic dentists are using a material called calcium oxide um, and claiming it is the safest, cleanest material. But, you know, when that calcium oxide touches moisture, it becomes calcium hydroxide, which is super caustic. And that's going to burn holes in your bone. And it's going to spread through your body. So any of the materials, whether it's the permanent root fillings, the temporary antibiotic or antibacterial medications that are put into the tooth for months at a time, or the initial hydrogen peroxide and um, sodium hypochlorite that you wash the tooth out with. If that gets into the bone, that's a disaster. So here's the, the whole concept. Ahead, sorry. The whole concept, you know, that, that's the materials themselves. The bacteria that remain in the tooth, because it is impossible with any technique, including ozone and laser, which is the latest, it is impossible to sterilize the tooth. The range of anaerobic bacteria that that are, that live in a tooth, a dead tooth like that, is mind blowing. Those are the you cannot ones. sterilize it. <laughs> the byproducts of those bacteria are spreading throughout the body, and I'm sure you read that Dr. Issel's the great German oncologist. He showed that these materials, the thioethers and the mercaptans which, yeah, sure, they're minute amounts, but they're equivalent to the mustard gas that was used in the First World War. They are prime carcinogens produced by the decaying material and the bacteria in the tooth. So, so, and as far as the decaying material, one of the prime things that we're supposed to do is clean the tooth completely, remove all the dead tissue. Ah, there's a million ways of doing that, and not one of them have been have been shown. Like, you know, you've got this, I don't know if you can see my hand, this canal down here yeah. with a whole lot of dentine cubules running out. So yeah, so just to back so up for one that, to back up for one second for the listeners who just like me. Sorry. I didn't, we didn't know a root canal from a freaking uh, nasal, polyp, <laughs> nasal polyp before we, I started reading about this stuff. Uh, so Dr. Gamble, his colleagues, they drill a hole in the top of the dead tooth. The one, the tooth they've decided is dead. Okay. They, in theory, I'm they, working my way, I was working my way backwards, but I'll go okay, forward. Okay. But I'll just uh, mm. go over this in 10 seconds and then, then you can go forward. And then they clean out the inside, which is the pulp and the dentin with a drill. And then they then they put all this stuff in there, including formaldehyde that's supposed to sterilize it. And a lot of it's carcinogens and there it's all toxic. And the idea that it's biocompatible is ridiculous. And then they attempt to fill this thing with other material that's equally horrible. And there's a hole at the root of, or 
the roots of the teeth. And then they try to fill that, but they can't possibly visualize that properly. And so, so it, it that remains open to the rest of the body. So anyway, sorry yeah. to, you know, back you up, but go Thank ahead. You. That's a 10 second summary. That's yeah. perfect. You can't, you can't remove all the dead tissue. You can't even remove it from the main canal, no matter what technique you use. Right, I think the best you, the best the studies have shown is that at least still thirty five percent of the root canal in um, with debris on it. That's not talking about the dentine tubules or the accessory canals that come off the canal like the 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 tap root of a tree. They're too little, so they're just ignored. So instead of trying to mechanically clean it out. We try and chemically clean it out and sterilize the tooth, Let's get rid of all the bacteria. Well, back in 1920, Weston Price, um, who obviously is the major hero of this story, the only way he could sterilize a tooth was to boil it for half an hour. <laughs> he tried pouring fuming formaldehyde through extracted teeth and couldn't sterilize them. In 2007, the Australian Dental Association published a whole supplement on endodontics written by a man who is now, or compiled by a man who is now the Dean of Dentistry in Western Australia, who blatantly says, we can't sterilize a tooth. It remains an elusive goal was his words. Well, if sterility remains an elusive goal, it's, hey, we can't sterilize a tooth and there's no way anything can. I spoke to a guy, a uh, professor, who was pumping his ozone machine. And I said, how far does the ozone go down the dentine tubules? Oh, 300 nanometers. I said, really? <laughs> I said, what happens to the other two and two-thirds millimetres? He turned his back and walked away. So th these are the little holes that go from the inside of the tooth to the outside of the hard part. And there's three miles of them, just the, to fill the listeners in. There's three miles of the little, little holes, little yes. tubules, uh, which are big enough to, uh, you know, admit bacteria marching arm in arm. You know, they're that big. So Eight across. Eight across. <laughs> Yeah, the dentine is made of tubules which run from the pulp to the edge of the root or in the crown of the tooth that you can see to the enamel, right? Then the enamel's over that. And over the root surface is cementum, which is a um, very loosely calcified material and its main purpose is to bond the periodontal ligament to the root and the bone. All right, so that, that's what holds the tooth in place. But these tubules and the accessory canals all have connection to the outside of the body, to, to the rest of the body. It's not just through the actual end of the root canal, the apex of the root. So anything that's in that tooth is going to be spreading through. Do antibiotics work? No. And in fact, there are a number of medicaments that are put into a tooth that are antibiotics, and it's clear that they approach the bacteria in such low um, concentrations 
that it, all that they do is cause the bacteria to be antibiotic resistant to those. And as you know, antibiotic resistance to one drug spills over to a whole lot of drugs. So what happens when that person has a disease that you can't treat because they've got the antibiotic resistance generated in their tooth? That's a pretty scary thought. So then we try and sterilise it with all these medicaments that don't work. And when the dentist has decided that the tooth doesn't smell anymore and the patient's had enough pain for the dental visits and hopefully there's no pain, the dentist will then fill that root canal with a whole lot of concoctions, as we've been talking about. And there is not one technique in all of endodontics. There is not one technique that will even seal the root canal, the main root canal, let alone all the dentine tubules and accessory canals that open to the rest of the tooth. The root canal so is the, the hole whole, in the bottom, the hole in the bottom of the tooth where the where the nerve. Well, goes that's through. the apex. That's called apex. the apex. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Um, that's where the uh, blood vessels, yeah. nerve fibers, come in and out. Um, the concept is a nonsense, and although even the dental professors admit that they are unachievable goals, they still teach it. And they still teach it knowing of the diseases, but not telling anyone. Why I say that is that I, Hal Huggins, and many, many, many other dentists and doctors have told these professors and deans what they're doing, and it's ignored. So they can't, in my opinion, if you're a dean of dentistry and you don't know the material that we're talking about today, what right do you have to be the dean? On the other hand, if you do know it and you're still teaching the rubbish, that just makes you a murderer with a whole army of people who believe they're doing the best they can for their patients. And I believe that most dentists actually do think they're doing the best they can for their patients. You know, they're good people. The people who teach us, that's a different story. It's like an incredible mass delusion. Mm. So so here's a cancer uh, physician from Germany, Donder. He's he's contemptuous of dental care. He said, the dental work we get from dentists is not something biological or medical. I'd say it's a technical thing, and the techniques give the dentist a number of very strong poisons to be implanted in the mouth. If you kill the tooth, then fill its root canal with mercury, formaldehyde, Cortisol dentistry is just a sin against the biology of the body and a sin against real medicine. And so yes. I I was very impressed with the number of references that you had that prove that root canals destroy health. And I why that isn't better known, I don't know. But there were you supplied a hundred references, maybe, about about this. And it is it's not mysterious. Uh, more. more. There's it's about not, 400 references in the book. Yeah. <laughs> They, they weren't all about root canal, but they, they, I mean, it's, it's, it, here's, here's just a sampling. Systemic diseases caused by oral infection, cardiovascular disease, coronary heart disease, atherosclerosis, myocardial infarction, stroke, infective endocarditis, bacterial pneumonia, low birth weight, weight, diabetes, mellitus, cerebral infarction, acute myocardial infarction, abnormal, and it just goes on and on. It's stunning. So there, there's no controversy about any of this stuff, except for in the hands of the 
the maniacs. And, you know, look, I'm quoting you when I say maniacs. I, I was quite impressed with your you're you're very careful about what you say and your Mandarin about your uh, about it. But uh, I I don't think there's any excuse for this stuff or, or the behavior of these people. I mean, when I found about fluoride alone, I thought these guys ought to be all drummed out of the medical profession. It's incredible what they've gotten away with. I spoke at a anti-fluoride meeting in Byron Bay, which is north of Sydney, one of the magical places in Australia that is still not fluoridated. And I was part of a group of a panel and, uh, the government had their own panel of doctors and an ADA person, and they were doing heartthrob, bleedy stuff. And, you know, I've seen patients, young children, all this. And I got up and I said, uh, first I've got to thank my opposition here because they couldn't present one reference for what they're saying. Not one. <laughs> Later I found the paper that I've now got up I'm linking onto my website, published by a professor in Sydney University, outlining, and this is mind blowing, published in a dental journal, outlining all the steps that need to be taken to run a propaganda campaign to tell people that fluoride's good. And I've linked, I've made big notes of that on my website. Well, the, the science and is... And in, in that, she says, if you don't have enough science on the decay rates, talk about the children, the young children, that appeals to the granny vote, about the young children who have to go to the hospital to have their teeth done. This has got nothing to do with fluoride. This is a propaganda campaign, always has been. Nothing's changed. But I believed it as a dentist, and I told pregnant women to go and take fluoride tablets. I'm just as guilty as every other dentist. I was very lucky to be kicked in the backside and woken up. I probably would be dead by now. This stuff's made it it's in the courts, the federal courts now, and it's opposed by these international psychopaths but um the science is clear um we have we have pregnancy studies that document the amount of fluoride in a pregnant women's urine and the ones with more fluoride in other words the ones who were consuming fluoride their their children have iqs that are standard a half standard deviation lower so this is there's it's not equivocal yeah it's not not equivocal equivocal it's a neuro neurotoxin do you can you tell us a little bit about the history of how they ADA got started on fluoride and all this crazy. Uh, I mean, it's it's a it's a they were bought off, and they're still being bought off to the tune of ten million a year or more, aren't they? And and I, I the other thing I heard was we get the fluoride from China and it's lead contaminated. It's an industrial waste in, in China. It's industrial waste. Yeah, and it's not sodium fluoride that they like to talk about. And the Australian Dental Association ran a program for a long time um, saying fluoride, it's natural. Nature thought of it first. Well, that's calcium fluoride you find in the uh, in the rivers. And when the levels of that are too high, as in many parts of the world, like in China, 
there are areas where the fluoride levels are so high naturally that people are crippled. It's not calcium fluoride that we get put in our water. It's hydrofluorosilicic acid, which is a byproduct of the um, fertilizer industry, scraped off the chimney stacks, put in bags, and dumped in our water supply. It also comes contaminated with other things like cadmium, lead, arsenic, and a whole range of other contaminants. And that goes into the water supply. And one of the things that fluoride does once it's in the water supply is it reacts with the solder in your, in the old, uh, in your taps, in your plumbing, and leaches the lead out of the solder. So your lead levels go up dramatically in fluoridated water. Aside from anything else, it doesn't stop tooth decay. And I can tell you for a fact, I've worked in fluoridated areas like Sydney and other areas. I've worked in non-fluoridated areas. And I've worked in areas where people are primarily drinking tank water out in the country. The worst teeth that I see in children or saw is in fluoridated areas. Not a question. Not a question. Decay rampant. The best, the teeth that the children that came in to see me that were bright eyed, that were, I'm going to go a bit here, I'm sorry, that were making eye contact with me, that were intelligent, that had no tooth decay anywhere in their mouth, were the children who were drinking tank water, rainwater. The ones in the non-fluoride non area, but still drinking tap water, were somewhere in between. And over the years, I tell you, I got to see kids, many children, and occasionally I'd say, um, you're obviously not drinking fluoride. Have you been vaccinated? No, I wouldn't vaccinate my kids. So sorry, I'm taking it off at a tangent here. But I could pick the kids that weren't vaccinated because they made eye contact. There weren't any mental things going on. And when you take that out and you take fluoride out, you've got intelligent people who are healthier. And the health of the teeth is only one indicator. The rest of their bodies are healthy. They never got sick. Yes, I think it's a total disaster. And one of the cover-ups <coughs> that's used in fluoride argument is comparing 12-year-old children in fluoridated and non-fluoridated areas and looking at the decay rate for 12-year-olds. Now, you've got to understand that the molars, the first molars come through when the kids are about six years old. When you're in a fluoridated area, one of the effects of fluoride is to delay the eruption of teeth by between two and three years. So the reality of looking and doing comparative epidemiological studies would be to look at 12-year-olds in non-fluoridated areas and 15-year-olds in fluoridated areas. And if you do that, the figures get very different. And then you see clearly the increase in decay in fluoridated areas.
there's a whole bunch of studies that I've got on my website showing that when fluoride is taken out of the water, the decay rate drops. They're published studies. That's not just me. You know, they're published. So, yeah. go ahead. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, who, who's, whose advantage is it to have a population that is dumbed down and sick? Stands to reason. Stands to reason you'd want to keep a population dumb and sick. There's no benefit to a drug company or a government to have people who think. Yeah, it's I know a, that's a very cynical. No, no, no. I, it's actually, it's actually the conclusion I've come to. But uh, it gets into a lot of complicated considerations. So, so it does. I mean, it's it's a horrible thing to think about. Um, but uh, I guess you can tell us about Adolf Hitler and how he was a dental disaster. <laughs> I'd rather not. <laughs> no? He, but, he you had know, a mouthful. The propaganda, of... campaign, the propaganda campaigns haven't changed, and the reason for it is that they were. Tell the same lie often enough, and everyone believes it. Hitler did it. Idi Amin did it. All the dictators did it, including the dental associations doing it and the governments doing it. Keep telling the same lie. Everyone's going to believe it. The bigger the lie, the better the bigger to believe it. Yeah, everything is a lie these days, just about. But the, the point about Hitler was he had a mouthful of amalgams and he was probably mercury toxic, so his behavior was erratic. That's the only thing I wanted to bring out. That's true. Could be that. <laughs> yeah, probably. It, it might be a few other things, but yeah, I'd go with that. Certainly. So Dr. Gamel is a fire breather. And he uh, he's actually being more cautious about what he says here than what he says in the book. So I would uh, recommend that you guys uh, have a look at his book because it'll take that to convince you that if you have amalgams, they need to come out. If you have dental implants, they have to come out. And if you want good health and you have root canals, they better come out too. And here's a quote from his book that I really liked. He says the hatters of old used to used to cure rabbit fur with mercury nitrate. They had profound psychiatric manifestations. They were quite bonkers. They became quote, as mad as a hatter as clearly demonstrated in Alice's adventures in Wonderland. Many parents who have amalgam implanted in patients who have amalgam implanted into their mouths also become mad from the mercury they're exposed to. Any dentist who uses or drills out amalgam will also be mercury poisoned and also and often will also become as mad as a hatter. Should we wonder why dentists have the highest suicide rate of all professions? So. Yes. And these are the people who are making the rules about dentistry and teaching it's crazy. Well, hmm. what have we missed that we need to talk about? I mean, I was quite impressed with these oncologists who became sensitized to oral work and had the dental work done first, and their cure rates went from a few percent to 70 or 80% for the cancers they were treating. So for whatever, you, you have to be careful about what you say about uh, uh, how there are other causes for cancer and this and that. Of course there are. But uh, if you don't look at the your dental work 
before you do anything else, I think you're you're missing uh, you're missing low hanging fruit to put it in the kindest possible way. And it, you I you better so. find yourself a good dentist who can take these things out safely, because Mercola got his out and he got kidney damage because he went to a non experienced dentist. And the the mark of a, uh, the best dentist is they're I O A M T certified. That's the acronym, right? I don't know what it stands for, but it's uh, it's your it's the group international. I'd Science. go further. I'd go further than IAOMT. The International Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxicology was set up with people who did the research, people like Murray Bimi, who did the research, who were professors, who were good scientists. I think you need to expand the concept to all of the things we've spoken about um, and find dentists who are maybe members of IAOMT, but who are seriously being trained in Hal Huggins's protocol. Now, Huggins is, isn't with us anymore. He was by far the leading person, and it is seriously dangerous to just rely on a holistic or a dentist who calls themselves holistic in any form. The patients have to learn for themselves. I'm talking to you as a medical profession, but I obviously I'm talking to the public and patients. You need to learn for yourselves all of the things in dentistry that can make you sick. So from fluoride, mercury amalgams, and how to take them out safely, the dangers of implants, the dangers of root canals, and all root canals, no matter how they're done. The dangers of well-spoken, well-dressed, smiling, holistic dentists. You have to understand these dangers before you can even interview a dentist to find out what they're proposing to do for you. And I suggest that strongly, that patients first learn as much as possible and you go into that dentist with a list of questions and if that dentist doesn't answer your questions properly, there'll be another dentist to go and find. And I, I mean that wholeheartedly. One of the things I, I, I used to tell people, the first thing in finding a dentist, ring up the receptionist, say, look, I'd like to make an appointment, but I've got a question. Does your dentist use a Melbourne? Unless the answer is never, you say, thank you, goodbye, hang up. Oh, occasionally when it's really necessary. This is a madness. It's never really necessary. I hadn't used amalgam for 30-odd years. It's never necessary. I've got friends who've got fillings in their head from 24 years ago that I did, composite resins, that aren't supposed to last. It's never necessary. Once you've established that the dentist doesn't use amalgam, the next question you ask on the phone is the suction system vented to the outside of the building. That's very important because if it isn't, there's no filters in a dental suction system 
which will filter out mercury vapour. Therefore, you go sit in the waiting room, dentist is drilling out a filling next door, and all of that mercury vapour is circulating like you're in a fume cupboard within the dental surgery. These are critical questions. And I'm not make, I'm not saying this lightly. I, I, I really mean it because this poisons everybody. Now, it's so little. There's not much of it that you don't need much. Well, if you put that, can I, can I go on here a bit? If you put that oh, in yeah, perspective, occupational safety and health in both America and Australia say that as a time-weighted average over 40 hours, the maximum allowable mercury vapour concentration is 50 micrograms per cubic metre. For non-occupationally exposed people, it comes under the auspices of the Environmental Protection Agency, and they say that the maximum allowable mercury vapour concentration not 50, but 0.3 of a microgram per cubic metre. Big, big drop. The Agency for Toxic Substances and Disease Registry in America says, yes, 0.3 is the maximum allowable, but we know that a transient exposure, you walk in, you walk out, transient exposure to levels as low as 0.02 micrograms per cubic metre will cause observable physiological change. 0.02 of a microgram. Okay? So when the dentist starts drilling out your fillings, 18 inches from the mouth, which is where the dentist and the nurse's heads are roughly, you can get levels up to 4,000 micrograms per cubic metre, not 0.02. When the dental nurse mixes that little vial that shakes like mad of dental amalgam and then opens it, there is an immediate release of 1,000 micrograms per cubic metre. In a mouth that's got a number of amalgams, you could have up to 100, 150 micrograms per cubic metre. <laughs> but the Australian Dental Association say that's not a problem because you breathe half of that out. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> they don't tell, say you breathe half of it in. Tell the listeners why, that, you, why you retired. Yeah. So, you know, let's talk science and not make-believe, let's talk figures, let's talk, here's your research, here's what the mob is teaching, it's up to the patients, they're going to have to find out and learn themselves what to ask for. On my website, I've got a list of questions that you can ask your dentist, but you still need to understand what you're asking for, because, you know, you're talking as a layperson to somebody with a big coat and a big pocket and looking very professional. Be careful of those. <laughs> well, I read four books and wrote four posts and I just sort of have a grasp of it. The best, the best book by far was the garbage collector, which it really brought, 
well, of course, it brought the points home. And I, I want you to tell the story about what your wife said that made you retire. Oh, um, I was working in the country part-time for a friend of mine. I was, I was actually living on a beautiful 40-acre bush block, um, way away from everybody. I'd given up on Sydney by then. And a friend of mine who had a surgery an hour away asked me to come and help. She needed a, a bit of hand. So I went in. I was working two or three days a week. And uh, my partner at the time started coming in and picking me up or seeing me after work. And she would have a guess at the number of amalgam fillings I'd removed that day. And when she became accurate <laughs> was when I decided to give up dentistry because she could tell by my mood change from morning till afternoon how many amalgams I'd removed. And when she was accurate, I'm guessing, it's when I decided to retire. I thought my health is more important than that. Well, I'm grateful to you guys. And I, I can't, knowing what just what I know now after two months of studying this, I couldn't imagine doing that work. I'd, I'd never do it for any reason. You have to quit. Once you understand what you're up to, you'd have to quit. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So here's another graphic thing. We all put the last little cap on this and we'll ask uh, Dr. Gamble if, if we missed anything important. The, the amount of mercury in the mouth of a person with fillings is on average 2.5 grams, enough to contaminate five 10-acre mm -hmm. lakes to the extent that there would be dangerous levels in fish. So that, you know, the stuff's exceedingly toxic and a little bit is enough to damage you. That's the story. That's the story. Yes. This is quoting Dr. Gamble's book. So is there anything important that we missed? Is there anything you want to bring up? Firstly, to thank you for bringing this to people, because what you're doing is critically important. And I really do mean it. it it's critically important. We're limited and censored in bringing information like this to the public. And every source of doing that, I thank you for. The only thing that I can suggest, truly, I think we've covered a lot of territory in this talk, is for people to become conscious and learn and become aware of the things that both the dental and the medical profession are doing to us. You know, there's a lot of great heroes out there. Hal Huggins, Robert Kennedy nowadays. There's a lot of good people who are talking and are referencing what they're saying. And they're the people that I think are worth listening to, especially if they are supporting what they're saying with references that you can go and look up yourself. I think that's critical. Yeah. Kennedy's a polymath. He's, he's a remarkable individual. There's very few people who have his intellectual abilities, but when you combine it with the charisma and the ability to communicate and the ambition and the willingness to put himself in physical danger, it's, he's a unique individual. And I, I wish him Godspeed and hope hope uh, hope there's some way we can uh, get around all the stuff that's happening today. So, His courage is astounding. Yeah. His courage blows me out. Mm. Absolutely. Well, 
Dr. Gamble, let me cut it off and we can chat a little bit afterwards. Thank you. Thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it.